It's time to grab a Bible, so I hope you brought one and uh, or a phone that has the Bible on it. So um, uh, you can turn to my Christmas text this morning, which is found in First John. But let me say a couple things while you're turning. Um, Kyle said something a minute ago that I want to make sure that you hear correctly, um, or at least the backstory behind it. Um, he said that we're about to start this singles ministry that's supposed to be a citywide ministry. That's that's the you know, guys, we are not um, by any stretch suggesting that we can do anything that would appeal to the city. That's not what we're saying. But um, through a little bit of research on the part of a couple of families in this church, we've discovered that there's really not much of anything offered by any church, including ours. We're as guilty as anybody of not offering something to the single adult. Um, when I went to lunch with a couple, they read me an article about a, from a, written by a 31-year-old school teacher who said, um, I fit um, just about every place except my church. I don't have anything in my church. And so it set this woman off to go research about what's going on in Memphis. And there's very little, if anything. So that's what we mean. We want to offer something for the, uh, the millennial single, 22 to 35, I think he said, ish. Um, that, that's what that's all about when we mean citywide. Now, that said, um, you know, we just completed a, uh, a, a series on the book of Hebrews where I think you will agree that some of those passages were quite intricate, somewhat complicated, maybe dense. And, and, um, and so I didn't want to do something like that to you on Christmas. I wanted, uh, my goal was to uh, lighten things up just a little bit. So I hope that's, I hope I've achieved that goal. We'll see. But my text is found in 1 John 4. And I'll read two verses out of 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. So you follow in your copies as I read this portion of a book that is inerrant. Uh, it uh, reads like this. In, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, the words I've just read to you, those words, these words, this endures forever. Hey guys, um, have you ever heard of the word quixotic? Have you ever heard of that word? Oh, I love that word. I mean, how many words do you know that has a Q and an X and all in the same word? I mean, if you're playing a game of Scrabble, um, you could uh, win if you could spell out Quixotic. Q-U-I-X-O-T-I-C. Quixotic. <coughs> um, <clears throat> do you uh, know what it means? The word Quixotic? Um, it's an adjective, and according to Webster, it means extravagantly romantic mm, or chivalrous. Um, idealistic to an impractical degree. Here's my definition. Uh, quixotic means it refers to romance gone wild. <laughs> that's, that's why I guess I love it. It's romance gone wild. Gang, do you know where the word quixotic came from? Um, it comes from the last name of a hero in a very famous book, Don Quixote. 
The word quixotic is based on his last name, Quixote, quixotic. He is the hero in a 17th century novel, uh, Don Quixote de la Mancha, written by Miguel Cervantes. Um, Never heard of that? Well, um, let me tell you this little bit about him and his book. Um, Miguel Cervantes is considered by most to be the best author ever in the Spanish language. How about that? His novel, uh, Don Quixote de la Mancha, um, <clears throat> is considered to be the first modern novel. And it was uh, released in 1605, 1610, something like that. Um, the novel has been translated into more languages than any book ever, except the Bible. <clears throat> um, most would consider his novel among the finest pieces of fictional of fiction ever written. <laughs> you know, um, the author Cervantes said, "The pen is the language of the soul," and I, and I, I love that. that and you can see it in, in his work. So that's where Quixotic came from, that novel by Cervantes uh, based on the story about Don Quixote. <clears throat> but what about this? Have you, have you ever heard this song? It's only going to be 77 seconds, so just kind of relax. Have you ever heard this song? Hit it. To dream the impossible dream fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not go, to right the unrightable wrong, to love pure and chaste from afar. To try when your arms are too weary To reach the unreachable star This is my quest To follow that star No matter how hopeless No matter how far To fight for the right Without question or pause to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. And I know if I only be You ever heard that song before? I guess I'm aging myself by playing it. I, I just think it's spectacular. Um, I mean, the lyrics are so marvelous to march into hell on, <clears throat> on a heavenly cause. Ow! To fight the unbeatable foe. To right the unwrongable right. You know, it just... It's just, um, it's captivating. But here's my point. Do you know where that song came from? Well, it came from a 1965 Broadway mu uh, musical entitled Man of La Mancha. Um, it was then turned into a movie in 1972, and the original stars were Peter O'Toole and Sophia Loren. That song has been recorded just about everybody, just about, I mean, so many artists have recorded it. That song, uh, I made a brief list. Of course, this ages me too, but Jim Neighbors, Bing Crosby, 
Barry Como, Sammy Davis Jr., Johnny Mathis, Doris Day. That was Andy Williams. And <clears throat> not to be left out, Elvis recorded it as well. So it's a, it's a widely known, widely sung uh, song, and, and understandably and rightfully so. <clears throat> but it came from a play, a musical, based on the novel that was written by Cervantes in the 17th century. Okay, Dr. Young, uh, what, why, why all this interest in the, the man of La Mancha? Well, let me, let me explain. Full disclosure. Last spring, my wife and I went to a play at MUS in which two of my grandsons played a part. And it was this one, The Man of La Mancha. And, and I, was, I was overtaken by it. I mean, I was intrigued by the whole, by, by everything about it. But as I sat there because of acoustics and other things, I couldn't hear it all. I couldn't hear all the lines. And so I determined when I left that I was going to do some research on this, on this book slash play which I did, and I want to share with you some of what I found about the novel and, of course, the play based on the novel. Um, the book is a story about the adventures of, an, of a Spanish Hidalgo, which is a term that means nobleman. Uh, his name was Alonzo Quiano, but Alonzo had read so many um, chivalrous romances that he loses his sanity. He um, loses touch with reality. And in that state, he decides that he is going to set out on a quest, um, a quest to revive chivalry, uh, a quest to undo wrongs and bring justice to the world. And in the process of him doing that, he changes his name from Alonzo Keanu to Don Quixote. <clears throat> Early on in, in, the, um, in the novel, <clears throat> he cannot see the world for what it is. He only views it for what it should be. <clears throat> and so he prefers to see himself as living out this, this nightly life, this night errand accompanied by his faithful squire, Sancho Panza. Now, <clears throat> along the way in this adventure, now let me, let me point out that I am skipping scores of details. Um, for instance, the whole book is set within the uh, Spanish Inquisition. We don't have time for that. <clears throat> but along the way in this uh, adventure of his, the two of them arrive at a roadside inn, I-N-N, <clears throat> a roadside inn, which Quixote, in his madness, in his insanity, believes is a castle. <clears throat> and in that castle, which is a roadside inn, he meets a prostitute whose name is Aldamza. Now, guys, you need to keep that in mind. That's, a, that's an important little fact. He meets a prostitute named Aldanza, <clears throat> but he believes her to be the Lady Dulcinea, to whom he swears eternal allegiance and loyalty. 
by other men, she is treated as a piece of gutter grime. I, I didn't make up that term. That, that comes from the play. She is treated as a piece of gutter grime, and, and the men <clears throat> bargain for her services. But Coyote, Coyote can only see her as Lady Dulcinea. <clears throat> you know, um, one of my favorite quotes in the whole book is about this, this tendency of his to see the world not as it is, but as it should be. And he says this, when life seems lunatic, who knows where madness lies? To surrender dreams? That may be madness. To seek treasure where there is only trash? Too much sanity may be madness, but maddest of all, to see life as it is and not as it should be. <clears throat> um, as the story unfolds, one night, Coyote um, meets Aldonza at the roadside inn as she is on her, on her way to one of her appointments to see one of her customers. And he explains to her why it is that he treats her as he does, like royalty, um, unlike the other men in the inn who treat her as the prostitute that she is and um, just an object to be used. But he explains to her why he views her as royalty. And that's when he sings that song, The Impossible Dream. <clears throat> and he insists on calling her Lady Dulcinea, um, which is a Spanish word that means sweet or sweetness. <clears throat> Later on in the story, um, Coyote and his sidekick, Pancho Sanza, uh, uh, Sancho Panza, they have left the, uh, the roadside inn. In fact, they got kicked out because they had caused a disturbance. <clears throat> but what, as they're leaving the roadside inn, they run upon a, um, a group of gypsies who take advantage of Coyote's naivete and they proceed to steal everything that they have, including his horse and then Sancho's donkey. So the two men are forced to go back to the roadside inn, <clears throat> and the innkeeper doesn't even want to let him in. But he ultimately does, out of sheer pity for their, their circumstance. <clears throat> Once they are back in the roadside inn, Coyote runs into Aldanza again. But this time, she is bruised and broken. She has a black eye. She has been mistreated by someone, and Coyote is enraged. And he vows to avenge her, um, her take vengeance on her enemies. And to his surprise, Aldanza blows up in his face. She responds very angrily and telling him, leave me alone. 
And she reminds him of the real story of her life, which is that she's a prostitute. And, And then she turns on him and blames him for giving him a glimpse of a life, giving her a glimpse of a life that she can never have. But Coyote um, continues to see her, can only see her as nothing but Lady Dulcinea. The play, not, not the book, but the play, the play concludes in a scene in Coyote's bedroom and Coyote is dying. He knows he's dying and he asks the priest to write out his will. So as he is dictating his will, Aldanza forces her way into the room. She has come to see Coyote because she has now, she, she has found out now that she can no longer bear to be anyone but Dulcinea. <clears throat> when Coyote does not recognize her, she begins to sing a reprise of Dulcinea, a song where he sees it, where he says, I see heaven in thy eyes. I saw thee and, and glory uh, was in your, in your face. She begins to sing that song to him and then try to remind him of the lyrics of the impossible dream. Suddenly, as if now he remembers everything, he jumps out of his bed. He asks for his sword and his, and his armor because he wants to continue in this, this quest. <clears throat> but it's too late. They begin to sing together the impossible dream. And in mid-song, he falls to the floor, dead. <clears throat> um, Aldanza now believes in him so much that to her, Don Quixote will always live. And she says, a man died. He seemed a good man, but I did not know him. But he looked at me and he called me by another name. Don Quixote is not dead, Sancho. Believe, Sancho, believe. And then when Sancho replies to her and calls her by the name Aldanza, she stops him and she says, my name is Dulcinea. (laughs) Do you see it? Folks, that's a story about how love changed a prostitute, a piece of gutter grime into something beautiful, into a piece of royalty. It's a story about how love changed her and gave her another name. And in that, I heard the gospel. Guys, It is a picture of Christ's love for the church, taking gutter grime and turning it into royalty. 
people who had prostituted themselves to sin, that he now changes and even gives them another name. In the course of my, my study of that thing, I, um, I had a thought. Um, and, and it's an original thought. I mean, I, I don't have too many of those, but this one was. Uh, I realized that most, of, most every piece of major literature that I love um, tells that same story, at least in parts of it. For example, Charles Dickens' The Tale of Two Cities. Remember, that's Paris and London. It's the book that opens with the line, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Um, it's set in the late 1700s uh, during the French Revolution. And the novel has two leading males. One is Sidney Carton, who is, a, um, who is an alcoholic. He's an attorney, <clears throat> a cynical alcoholic. And he ultimately becomes the hero of the book. How? Well, hold on. <clears throat> the other leading male is a man by the name of Charles Darnay. Charles is an Englishman. And the two of these men are both in love with the same woman, Lucy. <clears throat> and in the course of the book, they both pursue her. And at one point, she finally decides that she's in love with Charles Darnay, and she marries him. After they're married, Charles Darnay takes a trip to Paris because he's looking for a relative that he believes has been imprisoned wrongly. While he is there, he is arrested, tried, convicted, and sentenced to death by guillotine. Sidney Carton, the um, cynical alcoholic, hears that Sidney Carton is, is sentenced to die. And at that point, Sidney Carton realizing that the woman that he loves is about to lose the man that she loves. And so he inserts himself, disguises himself, and takes the place in line of Charles Darnay. He substitutes himself and ultimately dies in the place of Charles Darnay. Why? Because of love. Do you hear that? Folks, that's the gospel. How about this one? <clears throat> Victor Hugo's great work, Les Miserables. Remember the, uh, the, the hero is Jean Valjean. He's an ex-con. The uh, priest at the local cathedral takes him in. While there, late one night, he comes downstairs and steals all the silver. And he makes his exit. <clears throat> um, the police catch him bring him back to the priest. And the priest stands in the door and says, oh, officer, thank you for bringing him back because there are some pieces of silver that he didn't take after I had given them to, them, given them to him. Jean Valjean realizes that he has gotten something that he didn't deserve, a forgiveness that he didn't earn. And it transforms him. You remember the antagonist is Javert, the detective who wants revenge and wants to see Jean Valjean get exactly what he deserves. 
And in one scene, <clears throat> when the French army is fighting against the revolutionaries, um, Javert is captured. He's taken to Jean Valjean and they tell him to execute him. So Jean Valjean takes him in a back alley, takes out his pistol and he fires it into the air. And he tells Javert, run, go. And because Javert cannot cope with the concept of undeserved forgiveness, he loses his mind and ultimately takes his life. But the book, the book is about how undeserved forgiveness changes you forever. Do you hear it? There it is again. The gospel. How about this one? Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. A grim fairy tale. Remember, there was the wicked queen uh, who was the stepmother of Snow White. And there was a mirror on the wall. And she would say, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror would say, well, you are a wicked queen. Um, but then Snow White grows up and the message from the mirror changes. <clears throat> it doesn't say that the wicked queen is. It says Snow White is the fairest of them all. The queen is so incensed and enraged that she takes Snow White and she gives him to the huntsman and tells the huntsman to take her out in the woods and kill her and bring me back her heart in a box so I will know that she's dead. They go out into the woods. The huntsman cannot um, bring himself to kill her, tells her to run. She runs and he kills the pig and takes the pig's heart back to the queen. She runs deeper into the woods and she finds a cottage. And in the cottage, it's the home of the seven dwarves who mine for jewels each day. Dopey and sleepy and bashful and grumpy. Remember all those? <clears throat> they, they, they grow to love her. But the queen, meanwhile, back at the castle, is still asking the mirror, who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror says, Snow White is. And the queen realizes that she's still alive. And so she disguises herself as a, as a farmer's wife. And she goes into the woods and finds Snow White and offers her a poisoned apple. Does that not sound like Genesis 3 to you? Offers her a poisoned apple, she takes a bite, and she falls into the sleep of death. And she cannot be revived until the prince comes along and gives to her love's first kiss. But because of the love's first kiss by the prince, she is brought back to life. Do you hear it? Here it is again. The gospel. One more. Cinderella. You remember the story of Cinderella? She lived in the home with the uh, stepmother and the two um, scheming stepsisters. Fairy godmother comes and gives her all these clothes in the, the carriage and she goes to the ball. But she's got to be home by midnight. But the, um, the prince falls so head over heels in love with her that he determines that he, she must be found. So he has the slipper and he goes all over his kingdom searching for, seeking for, and finding and loving the one who was held in a cruel bondage. And because of her charming, of her Prince Charming, 
in his love for her. She is set free. Do you see it? There it is again. Guys, was it the intention of those authors to describe the gospel in their words? I have no idea. I cannot say that. But this much I believe passionately. That there is inside of us, down deep in that place where only we and God go, there is inside of us a longing for a love that will change And a love that will take me as I am and make me something new. It's a longing for a new life and a new start. And I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, because of that longing that's in every human heart, it begins to show up in every piece of literature. Prince Charming, who comes and by love's first kiss and brought back to life. A story where love changes, changes gutter grime into royalty. And that is the story, ladies and gentlemen that we celebrate and call it Christmas. You see, guys, um, the big difference in all of these stories that I've mentioned, five of them, the big difference between them and the gospel is that every one of those stories are fiction. This story is fact. Um, all of those other stories are imaginary. But this one is historical. There is a city about six miles south of Jerusalem, and it's called Bethlehem. And the Savior of the world did indeed show up there. And God moved the entire Roman government so that he could get an impregnated virgin and a carpenter into the city that was predicted to be the home of the Savior. Can I read you that gospel again? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And because he did that, he has turned this piece of gutter grime into royalty. Guys, the gospel tells the story of a God who sent his son not to deserving people, 
but to undeserving people. Um, he sent his son to a people who, who he loved as they were. And that love ultimately transformed them into something brand new. And he's even, he's given them his name. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I am Lady Dulcinea. That story, the gospel, that story begins to unfold in a human context. It begins to unfold in a city six miles south and west of Jerusalem. Bethlehem. God sends his son, our prince, long before I ever loved him. A prince who came and sought me and found me and loved me to the place that I became a different person. For me, ladies and gentlemen, for me, for me, my prince fights the unbeatable foe. And he wins. My prince bears the unbearable sorrow of my sin. And then he dies to pay for it. Substituting himself for me and so he dies so that I can live he gives me a forgiveness that I didn't deserve he marches into hell for a heavenly cause He marched into this hell for a heavenly cause. And that cause is, is something that originated in the heart of God, intended to save people who only deserve condemnation. That cause has its first installment in a story that we call Christmas. Guys, this is the story of Christmas. It's a story that begins in a manger and ends in a cross and an empty tomb. It's a story about a prince who was born to die in my place. And because he did, he has turned gutter grind into royalty.
in my name is Dulcinea. Father, would you allow your people to see in a somewhat unique and different way the grand glory of the gospel? Would you allow them to see, O oh God, that this is not about gift-giving and consuming abundant amounts of food. It's about a prince who came and sought me and he found me. And because he loved me so, I'm a brand new creature. Just like Cinderella. Father, if you've brought people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you cause them to see that what we broadcast to the world this season and every other season is about a Savior who died in our place because of love. Oh God, it is, it is not we who love you. It is you who loved us and sent your son to be the propitiation of our sins. What a story. We pray in Jesus' name.